If you have your Bible, and I hope you do, please turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, we're going to be looking at verses 2 through 4 this morning. She finishes up an important transition in our study of Christ above all from the book of Colossians. Paul has been showing us over the last two chapters how Jesus is the supreme and sufficient one. The one who rules over creation, redemption, the church, and all things. Well, in chapters 3-4, through four, Paul begins to show us what it looks like for Christ to rule over our own hearts and minds and lives as well. Because this is the test of our faith. It's not merely confessing Christ as Lord. It's submitting to Christ as Lord. It's not just hearing His words. It's doing them. As Jesus said in Luke 6, 46-47, Why do you call Me Lord, Lord, and yet not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to Me hears My words and does them. So we tell the world that Jesus is Lord by our mouths, but we show the world that Jesus is Lord by how we live our lives. By showing true spirituality, which is not by focused on, focusing on rules or revelations or restrictions, it is by focusing on our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. That is what true spirituality is. It's having your entire being, your will, your mind, and your heart all centered on Jesus Christ Above all. We began seeing that last week in verse 1 where God tells you and me that you must focus your will on Christ. He writes in Colossians 3.1, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Our lives as believers are to be marked By a will that is focused on Christ above all. That is a striving to attempt great things. Not for ourselves. Not for our families. Not for our communities. Not for our nations. Attempting great things for Christ. We are to ask ourselves, where has God put me? What has God commanded me? How am I going to obey? When am I going to do it? Because Jesus is more than just Lord in word. He must be Lord in deed. If Christ is preeminent and if Jesus is Lord, then our dreams, our pursuits, our ambitions, our will has to be focused, must be focused on Christ above all. Well, after Paul tells us there in Colossians 3, 1, to seek the things that are above where Christ is, he then sharpens that admonition in verse 2. Yes, focus your your will, focus your dreams and your ambitions on Christ. But the only way you can do that practically is if you first and more fundamentally focus your mind on Christ. That's in verse 2, as we'll see. And then second, focus your heart on Christ. That's in verses 3 through 4. So what we're going to... That's what we're going to see today. Focus your mind on Christ and focus your heart on Christ. That is true spirituality. It is living a life so wrapped up and focused on Jesus that it begins to transform your ambitions, your thoughts, and your affections. So with that in mind, let's read Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 1 on into verse 4. Paul writes this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things 
that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. This is the Word of God whose commandments have no limit to their perfection. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the great opportunity we have this morning to worship You by responding to Your Word. Father, help us to grasp the glorious weight of the truths put in front of us so that we would would be changed by Your Spirit. So that we would walk out of this place with will, with thoughts, and with affections more firmly secured to Jesus Christ above all. May You be honored and glorified in our midst. Overcome our weaknesses by Your grace. May we respond to Your glory this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So after Paul tells us to focus our will on Christ, he then tells us that that will only be possible if we first focus our mind on Christ. That's in verse 2, where Paul says, Set your minds on things above, not on things that are on earth. See, that is the purpose of the homework that I gave you all last week. As followers of Christ, we have to ask ourselves, where has God put me? But secondly, what has God commanded me? Because the only way that we can focus our will on Christ and have the right ambitions in life is if we also focus our mind on Christ. For as a man thinketh, Proverbs 23.7 says, so is he. To truly grow spiritually into Jesus who is our head, our minds as believers have to become mentally preoccupied with Him. Our thoughts must dwell on Christ and center themselves on things above. As Paul says here, he says, set your mind on things above. See, unlike what the heretical mystics taught, true spirituality is not discovered by emptying your mind or by letting your thoughts run free. No, Though that is exactly what is taught in many evangelical churches today. We saw this two weeks ago where I referenced a so-called reformed evangelical who taught that the way to hear the voice of God is to ask God to speak to you, sit alone in an empty room for 10 to 15 minutes, and then write down any words or sentences that come to you. And that, he said, is the voice of God. That is the opposite of what Paul says here. The opposite. If you want to grow in godliness and Christ-likeness and spiritual maturity, it is not found by emptying your mind or letting your thoughts run free. It is found by filling your mind and setting and securing your thoughts on things above. So how do we do that concretely? 
How do we set our minds on things above where Christ is? Well, Paul tells us the ultimate answer just a few verses later in this very same chapter. And what is interesting is what Paul doesn't say. Paul doesn't say you want to set your mind on things above. You want to secure and focus your mind on Christ. Well, then start observing Jewish laws and ceremonies and let them draw your attention to Him. As the lie of legalism taught the Colossians back then and still teaches today. Paul didn't say you want to set your mind on things above. Well, then set up lots of icons and incense. Open your minds. Empty them. And let the pictures, smells, and experiences draw your attention to Jesus. No, that is what the lie of mysticism taught back then. It's what it still teaches today. Neither did Paul say you want to set your minds on things above. Well, then separate yourself from all these external, normal, earthly activities and comforts and let those restrictions focus your mind on Christ as the aesthetics taught and still teach today. No, Paul says, do you want to set your mind on things above where Christ, the preeminent one, is seated at the right hand of God enthroned in power? Do you want to be captivated and enraptured with Jesus Christ? Then as Colossians 3.16 says, let the words of Christ dwell in you richly. Let His words find their home, their dwelling place in you. In other words, if you want to have your mind focused on Christ's glory, then you have to have your mind filled with Christ's Word. If you aspire to give your life to Christ, then it all begins by giving your mind to Him. Your life will not go where your mind has not already led. As Paul teaches over in Romans 12, verse 2, the way that you begin offering up your life as a living sacrifice to God is by not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewal of your mind. So this is what true spirituality looks like. Don't let anyone else put another definition on it. True spirituality, this is what a mature and growing believer looks like. It does not look like someone who is studying dead German heretics or secular philosophy. It is not someone who is infatuated with laws or traditions. It is not someone who is addicted to signs and mystical experiences or is obsessed with separatism or obsessed with severity to their bodies. True spirituality looks like someone who is humbly hiding God's Word in their hearts. True spirituality looks like someone who is daily wearing out their Bible. True spirituality looks like someone who is endeavoring by God's grace to take every thought captive into obedience of Jesus Christ throughout the day. This is where our Christian life is won or lost. It is in the battle of our minds. Through Bible reading, Bible recording or journaling, Bible memorization, doing everything possible to hide God's Word in your heart, to let the words of Christ dwell in you richly. So, let me ask you this morning. If someone was looking for evidence to convict you of the crime of focusing your mind preeminently on Christ, would they find that evidence? What does your daily routine look like on a day-to-day basis? I don't know if you knew this, but most smartphones can create time usage charts. And they can tell you how long you spend on certain apps on your phone doing certain things throughout the day. 
Did you know that last year, the average American spent nearly two hours and 22 minutes on social media every single day? That's the American culture we live in. To break that down for you, that is 77 hours a month. 918 hours a year. That means, breaking it down even more, last year, the average American spent 76 whole waking hour days of their year just scrolling through social media. 76 days of their year. 21% of their time. Of their life. And yet, according to a recent survey, only 32% of Protestant evangelical churchgoers actually read their Bible either daily or a few times a week. This means that a huge majority, nearly two-thirds of all evangelical churchgoers, only pick up their Bible to read it on their own a couple of times a month or less. That's huge. And the number one reason given for why they do not read their Bible more frequently, the reason they give is because they find it hard to find 30 minutes of time to read their Bible each day. And this is while some of them are spending over two hours on social media every single day. I can't help but think in a crowd this size that's biting somebody. So again, if someone was looking for evidence to convict you of the crime of focusing your mind preeminently on things above and not on the things of this earth, would they find it? If they created a time usage chart of your entire life, what would it look like? How's your Bible reading doing? Believers, set your minds on things above, not on things of this earth. When's the last time you memorized a verse? Even if it was just one. Set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth. And again, we're not here to engage in an intellectual exercise. I want to help us do this. I want to help us to put feet to the truth. So I have a handout on the table in the church office in the back that you can take as you leave. Some of you can take as you leave. I don't have enough for all of you. It lists 150 verses that every Christian should memorize covering 13 general doctrines or topics. Bible memorization is one of the best ways you can set and secure your mind on things above throughout the day. And so hopefully this can be a useful tool for you. And what you can do is you can write out one or two of those verses, put them on an index card, Put it in your back pocket and you can pull it out throughout the rest of the day. And if you want to keep on, and if you keep on reading that verse and reading that verse and reading that verse, eventually you'll be thinking that verse and you'll know that verse and you'll have it hidden in your heart and you will be able to have a truth that you can set your mind on throughout the day rather than setting it on all the things that are on this earth. See, it's all about our mindset, believers. This is what this verse is talking about. He says, set your minds on things above, not on things of the earth. So I have another question for you, believer. What is your mindset? What's your mindset? From what perspective do you most often look at the issues of your life? From the perspective of earth or from the perspective of heaven? 
This is what's supposed to set us apart as believers in this world for the glory of God. What sets us apart as Christians is not by having weird rules or strange restrictions or special experiences. What's supposed to set us apart as followers of Jesus Christ is that we enter this world with a completely different mindset. We look at what's going on in this world not like everybody else. Not like the cable television shows. We look at the world we live in from God's perspective and have a totally different outlook. This is how we show Christ to be Lord. By our mindset. This is how we show the world that we belong to Christ. It's just like Joshua and Caleb at the edge of the promised land in Numbers 13. Twelve spies go in, they spy out the land, and they come back out. What are ten of them saying? Man, we can't take this. The Canaanites are stronger than us. They're bigger than us. They're more ruthless than us. They'll eat us up. We can't do this. But what does Caleb say? Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome them. So that's what we saw last week, isn't it? He has the right ambition. But why? It's because he has the right mindset. Because Joshua says later in chapter 14, verses 8 through 9, the Lord delights in us. The Lord has given this land to us. The Lord is with us, so do not fear them. They can have the right ambition in life because they have the right mindset. They are looking at the issues of their life from heaven's perspective, not from earth's. And that is how Joshua and Caleb set themselves apart from that unbelieving generation that died in the wilderness. It was by their heavenly ambition that was produced by a heavenly mindset. They were able to look at the circumstances of their life, not from, uh, not from the circumstances of, or perspective of earth, but from the perspective of heaven. They had their minds set on things above and not on things of this earth. This is who we are in God's sight. We can do this. So believer, this is true spirituality. This is true spiritual growth and maturity. It's focusing our minds on Christ above all. We are to show the world the life of Jesus by having a heavenly perspective on the issues of life. By being able to see people and events from God's perspectives. And you can only do that when you're thinking God's thoughts after Him. How can you have a heavenly perspective on life when you're not even studying what heaven has to say? So again, what are you going to set your mind on this week? Believer, going to spend two hours scrolling through social media? Oh, please don't. (laughs) I can head up an intervention if that's your life. Okay. (laughs) Set your mind on things above where Christ is, not on things of this earth. Set your mind on things above through your Bible reading this week, through your meditation, through what you take into your brain. Set your mind purposely on things above. Focus your mind on Christ. So focus your will on Christ, focus your mind on Christ, and finally, we as believers must focus our heart on Christ. That's in verses 3-4. through four. Paul says, but you have, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with Him in glory. Notice Paul begins verse 3 by saying four. In other words, Paul presents two reasons why we ought to do exactly what he just told us to do. Paul in these two verses presents uh, two glorious realities that are true of us who are in Christ. 
two wonderful realities that are meant to stir up our affection for Jesus and to motivate us to focus our our minds and our wills on Christ above. Paul reminds us first in verse 3, he says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. In other words, remember, believer, that your old life to this world is dead and gone. As Paul wrote in Galatians 6.14, Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to this world. I don't belong to this world anymore. Literally, believer, Scripture talks of you as being an alien. Out of this world, right? As being a sojourner. You don't belong here. You are now a citizen of heaven. You have nothing, believer, Nothing to tie you down to this world anymore. Your life is not found in the people that you know. Your life is not found in the career that you have. Your life is not found in the house you own or want to own. Neither is your house or is your life found by the clothes that you wear. For you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now that phrase, to have your life hidden with Christ in God, implies three wonderful truths. First, it means as believers we are eternally secure in Christ. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. As Romans 8.39 says, as John 10.28 testifies, we shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hands. To have your life hidden with Christ in God's means that you are eternally secure in Him. Second, it means this. To have your life hidden with Christ in God means that the unbelievers around you will never understand the life that you're living in Christ. It is impossible because your life is hidden with Christ in God. Do not live your life for the approval of the world or for the approval of those who do not know Christ. Your life is hidden from them. They will never understand why you are so burdened to have your will, your mind, and your affections centered on Jesus. They will never understand the values that you hold or the choices that you make. Indeed, most of the things we as believers do are foolishness to them, as 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, and they cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So to say that your life, believer, is hidden with Christ and God means that you're eternally secure in Christ. It means that The unbelievers around you will not often understand the choices that you make. And finally, and I think primarily, it's this. To say that our life is hidden with Christ and God means that we as believers share in a common life with God the Father and the Son. As a believer is immersed in Christ, my life is fused together with Christ's life, as Romans 6 teaches. And as 1 Corinthians 6.17 says, He who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with Him. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit indwelt believer together, united and inseparable as one. See, Christianity is not about here's a level of morality we want you to achieve. Turn over a new leaf. Christianity is you are dead in your trespasses and sins. You need to be made alive together with Christ in God. You need to be united to the living one, Jesus Christ. You need to be born again. That's Christianity. And so when the Father looks at Jesus, He sees me because my life is hidden with Christ in God. And when He looks on me, He sees Christ. My life is hidden with Christ in God. It's hidden, it's secure, it's energizing. And not only is my life hidden with Christ in God, 
Paul also says this in verse 4. This is a verse you could unpack for the rest of your life. In fact, some of you should write a book about this. Colossians 3, verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then at that moment, you also will appear with Him in glory. And Paul is not waxing poetic here. He is literally describing your actual future believer as someone who is united with the living Christ. Read the book of Revelation. We had it read this morning, right? When Christ appears at His second coming, riding down out of heaven in victory on a white horse over the world, guess who will appear with Him in that moment? We will. Revelation 19, verse 14 declares, And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, which is dressed exactly like the bride of the Lamb earlier in the book of Revelation, they were following Him on white horses. Remember I said several weeks ago that in Christ your victory has already been won? There it is in the book of Revelation. Right there. That's us. You say, I'm struggling with sin. I'm struggling with the issues of the world. I want you to know that if you're in Christ, you are there in Revelation. Riding in triumph with the Redeemer who saved you and conquered life and sin and death on your behalf. Riding in triumph with the Redeemer over the things of this world. This will be me. This will be you. Therefore, and this is what Paul is going to say next week. Oh, and get the connection. If this, if this is your future, then why in the world would you give yourself to earthly desires and affections when one day you will be riding over those very same things in utter contempt and total victory? If you will ride then, then ride now. That's Paul's lesson. As Paul says in verse 5, put to death therefore what is earthly within you. Take those earthly ambitions that have everything to do with you and nothing to do with God. Take those earthly thoughts that have everything to do with the things of this earth and not with the things of heaven. Take those earthly affections that have everything to do with the things that you love and not the things that Christ loves. And you are to take all of those things that are distracting and pulling you away from your true life and purpose and calling in Christ. You're to bring them into the light of day and you are to lay them before the feet of Christ that He might smash them underneath your feet. Because your life is not made up with any of those things. Your life is found in Christ. Christ is your life. Your life is totally and completely made up in who? Christ. So don't miss this. When Christ who is your life. I wish I could preach a whole sermon on that phrase. But isn't it beautiful? Christ doesn't give life. Christ is life. He is life. When Jesus gives life, He gives Himself. So the eternal life that we as believers experience and enjoy now is really the very life of Christ within us. As Paul says over in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that lives, but it's Christ that lives in me. I've got nothing to boast in in myself. My boast is thoroughly on Christ. It's His life. Christ is my life. And that, seem, and that means, that one phrase means something supremely important and practical for me as a believer. If Christ is my life, 
then that means as I find Christ, I find my life. For my life is hidden with Christ in God. As I find Christ, I find my identity. I find my fulfillment. I find my freedom, my reason, my purpose, my peace, my joy in living. Everything that makes life truly worth living is found in knowing and loving and serving Jesus, who is above all. And so my life is not found by chasing after all these situations. My life is not found by chasing after all these circumstances, these desires, or these ambitions of mine. My life is found by chasing down more of Christ. And if I seek God's kingdom and His righteousness, if I seek Christ above all, He takes care of the rest. My life is found by chasing down more of Christ as Jesus said in Matthew 16:25, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. As I find Christ, I find in him my life. For Christ is my life. So let's drive this home. What have you got going on this coming week, believer? Think about it seriously. What's on your calendar? What does your coming week look like with its schedules, plans, events, and even known struggles? You have a picture in your mind? Okay, now listen. Christ is your life. Christ is your life. Does that change anything? In what ways must you refocus your plans? In what ways must you refocus your time? In what ways must you refocus your thoughts, your outlook, and your expectations about what you're about to face? For when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. I would encourage you believers this morning to set your ambitions, your thoughts, and your affections before the full blaze of that coming day. And whatever does not accord with the glory that will be revealed, do away with it. For Christ is your life. Listen, the world won't understand your radical focus if you apply this passage to your life this week. They won't understand your ambitions and dreams. They won't understand your mindset and thinking. They won't understand your priorities and your narrow-mindedness. Goodness sakes, probably some of your own family members will think you've lost your mind. But after all, our life is hidden with Christ in God. But when Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with Him in glory, and then everyone will understand in that day. It won't be hidden anymore. As Philippians 2.10 states, in that day even unbelievers will see and know and declare that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father. And in that moment they will realize that they gave their lives to all that was wrong and you gave your life to all that was right and you gave your life to the only one that truly matters. In that day all the choices we make this week to focus our will, our mind, and our heart on Christ will be completely vindicated as we appear with Him in glory. With Him who is our life.
So I encourage you, believer, to focus your will on Christ. Focus your mind on Christ. And focus your affection on Christ. Your heart. This is true spirituality. This is true spiritual growth and maturity. This is where it begins. It begins with your will. It begins with your mind. It begins with your heart. To have your life so wrapped up in Jesus that the white one great preeminent pursuit transforms your ambitions, your thoughts, and your affections. As G.T. Manley wrote, Let the pessimist look down. Let the fearful look around. But let the Christian lift his eyes and look up. What will your mindset be this week, believer? Set it on things above. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. This is the Word of God from Colossians 3, verses 1-4, through which I now commit to your further study and your faithful obedience until He appears. To that end, as the men come forward for communion, let's pray. Father, we thank You for this passage. of deep truths regarding our union with Christ that this rest of this letter will unpack. That the rest of the Bible unpacks. Father, we thank You for Jesus Christ who is our life. We thank You for Jesus Christ who is our hope, who is our glory, who is that great pearl of great price. Father, I pray that this week we would be able to testify to the worth of Jesus the preeminent one. By Your grace, help us to set our minds and our hearts on things above Help us to live for the things that will count for eternity. And help us to attempt great things for Jesus. Though the world think us mad, there will be a day when Jesus will be displayed in all His glory. And we will appear with Him in glory also. Help us to live for that day. Help us to live for that moment. Father, make us so heavenly minded that we are at last of some earthly good. Give us the mindset we need this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.